Our next guest on the Mindful You podcast, I met a while back at an event called Embracing the Woo. Woo meaning that spiritual dimension of consciousness, that metaphysical dimension of consciousness beyond the the ego identity. And Herb was a spiritual coach. He described himself as a spiritual coach, an entrepreneur. He has faced traumatic brain injuries, has gone through uh, healing, and has journeyed down the mindfulness path, and now has tapped into that mindfulness dimension of consciousness. And he also um, has gone down the path of psychedelic uh, integration using medicines in order to achieve that stability and that mental equilibrium and emotional emotional balance and calm. It is with great pleasure then that I introduce you to Herb Hay Arvet, our next guest on the Mindful You podcast. Welcome, welcome Herb to the Mindful You podcast. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be out letting other people know what's going on and and helping them get back in contact with life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we were talking a little a little earlier about experiences of mindfulness. And I I'd like to have an understanding if we had to define from your point of view. Uh, mindfulness, uh, presence, uh, emptiness, beingness, whatever word you want to use to describe that 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 space of the is space. Uh, in, in, from your experience, how would you define mindfulness and presence? Well, it was when you first said when a when I first read the like the pre questions like what is mindfulness is like, well, that's just being really present with yourself. That is. And then, and then I read the more questions. Like it was all of the terms that I used to define mindfulness. You have the question of what is that? Um, and it's really weird because a lot of those terms are part of what's called the woo world, the, the, the spiritual world, the world that's not the reality that most people see, the going to work, the driving, the taking care of the kids, the taking care of the house. And that that kind of reality is what most people think of of as as what's real, as what's reality is. And mindfulness is is more of figuring out you in that space. So instead of becoming part of that space, you you mindfully go into your space while you're in those other space. So mindfulness is is getting in touch with the machine that that your spirit is riding around in and paying attention to your 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 vehicle and and being with your vehicle while you are also driving it around in life it, it, 
in your day to day. So while you are taking care of your kids, while you are doing your yard work, you can also be paying attention to you, to your vehicle, to how you're breathing, to how you're moving, to what your body is telling you at the same time as you're doing all of these other things. And that brings um, that brings you back into life in a different way. So instead of like life happening to you and around you, you become a part of it. And there is, there is that spirit. It's not spirituality. It, it is. You just get more in touch with your spirit. You get more in touch with life. You start to understand that there is more than just what you're doing. There is the being doing it as well. Right. There's the there's the the doingness, and then there's the the being behind the doingness, which is the intention. What's the intention of the being? And 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 when you talk about, you know, how do you get to that being quality, not caught in the doingness, which is the manipulation of the things, but get into the being space in which you're sort of the all. Uh, you talked about pay attention. And boy, yes. that's uh, that's a good one to, to, to have a little conversation about. Uh, but what does pay attention for me means wake up uh, and wake up means observer and witness. Uh, whatever's going on rather than rather than you are the movie you're watching you're watching the movie so from my perspective so that's the way i i i, I word it that way how, how do you word it your way i i i understand the analogies you're using most people when they start talking about mindfulness they think they need to sit still to be quiet to get rid of all of the distractions before they can get into that space and as you and, and for most people, when they start getting into mindfulness, that is a lot easier. But there are like walking meditations, there are moving meditations. And as you start to grow into that, then that mindfulness and that meditation and that connection to life can start to be with you at all the time. Now, that that also takes um, paying attention is also a focus. It's like what you're focusing on. So sometimes you're focusing outside of your body on the task at hand. And if you can bring that observer in that you were talking about that, that paying attention, then you can focus on you focusing on the task at hand. And that changes, that changes pretty much everything about what you're doing. And it, it can, again, I, we were talking about when we started about how I drive and how I started noticing that I was driving through postcards and just seeing this amazing beauty all of the time. And that that happens more in a mindfulness state because you bring the observer along. There's a lot of times where when I actually see these beautiful things I consciously go, hey, God, this is really pretty. I know that you're always seeing everything all the time, but come check it out from this perspective. Knowing that I see you, I consciously invite you in to share this beauty of you with you. And as I do that, you know, the, the observer becomes me. I become the observer, but I also become that which is is being looked at as well so it's one of the few times that that i can see myself 
as beautiful as I see everything else. Because that that's one of the hard parts for me is because I know how flawed I am. I know how messed up I am. You know, I have brain damage. I hurt my head and, and it kind of took my life apart. And so that made me feel bad about myself. And so it's hard for me to see the beautifulness of me that I can see everywhere else. So when I can get in that state of mindfulness and see the beauty and start inviting God in to witness through me, that is that is when I can start feeling that beauty with inside me. I can start feeling that worthiness inside me. And that is one of the things that sometimes brings tears to my eyes, because not only am I loving what I'm seeing, I am also feeling that love for myself as well. And so mindfulness is getting in that state where whereas you're looking out and seeing and doing, then you can also be in that same beautiful state. Um, it's like when people go to a museum and they see amazing work of arts for the first time and it brings them to tears. Well, mindfulness can can make that you can see that everywhere. It doesn't have to be something that somebody does. It can be what is here and what God created and what you see in just everyday moments. Tears of joy, tears of bliss uh, is is part of that that mindfulness, stillness, place of beingness in which you begin to manage the thoughts better because you can, you can observe the thoughts now and the thoughts are painting the narrative. And if you can change the thoughts that you think, you, you change the narrative and all of a sudden, what you said is exactly the the, the love and the and, and divinity in which we are uh, is then available to express it through us. Um, and and one of the course of miracles they talk about God cannot do for us what God cannot do through us, and and through us means you 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 see the beauty all around all all around you. Uh, and and that leads into, you know, if if someone was interested in mindfulness, which you and I are certainly, uh, you know, what are some of the benefits of of mindfulness? And you you just listed a whole bunch of them, uh, beauty that, that all around. Joyful, yeah, that uh, that joyful state, that sense of tears, that sense of love. That's that's our normal state. That's that's should be where we are. And all of the stuff that we have, the society that's going on, the the having to get a job, those are all distracting us from that. So mindfulness is a way to get underneath that distraction and get back to who we are, that that what we are, that sense of peace and joy. And if you can start to get there, then then the falseness of the or the 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 falseness of the distraction can start to fall away and you can start to touch that that beautiful inner part of you and so you know it's not that it's not that you have to go find that it's like you have to start peeling away the distractions because that is what you are because once you find that once it's like holy cow what was that it's like that was you 
Okay. <laughs> that wasn't something that happened to you. That was, you got rid of enough of the stuff around you to say, Hey, that, what was that? That's the inner you that's there all of the time. And you just built this shell and you, and society has all of these rules and things to basically distract us from that so that we can interact with each other. But, but once you start peeling that away and you can find that within, then if, if you get really good, you know, and it, it takes some people years, years and years, sometimes their whole life to be able to really tap into that. And, you know, I, I can do it sometimes. I can't hold on to that space because there are, like I said, there's a lot of distractions and some of them seem really awesome. Um, but when you can get rid of those distractions and drop into that space, it, it can be pretty, pretty incredible and overwhelming. And when you drop into that space, Herb, uh, I would I would describe that space as a spiritual spiritual space, a space beyond a, a metaphysical spiritual non non judgmental being. Everything just is kind of space. Um, and uh, you'd also describe yourself as a spiritual coach. Uh, is that meaning that you take people into that space uh, when when you coach them? I talk about it. I help them get there. But a lot of times it's something that people have to find themselves. And there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of entry points to start getting to it. There's there's breath work. There's there's different actual mindful tech techniques um, like MBSR. And, and I don't remember necessarily all of that, what the acronyms mean, but I know it's it's mindful. There, there's lots of mindfulness pract practices. Um and so there's a lot of entry points to get to it. But the thing is, is a lot of people then start thinking the entry points are are what that is. So people go, oh, man, I was doing this breath work and I felt this amazing thing. And instead of saying, hey, I, I used breath work to just to get through the distractions to find myself, they say it's the breath work that did it. No, you are the medicine. That is what you are. And the breath work is just a key that unlocks the door that might or cracks open that window to give you a brief glimpse of of who you are inside of that. So this, I want to make sure I got that one. So the the breath work that the, the the conscious breathing you're saying that so that's the outer manifestation of some in, inner awareness behind it. Um, more it's it's um. It's like opening the window or opening the key. It's it's a practice that you can do to navigate through, through the distractions and bring yourself to a quiet place and catch a glimpse of who you are. So okay. the breath work isn't isn't the isn't the thing that's making you feel that way. Just like um Wow, that's a I haven't tried to put it this way before. So these it, trying to come up with an analogy. Um, yeah, I, I love analogies too. I understand a good analogy is so really a pretty to go thing. To the coast to the experience the ocean, you get in a car, and the car, the car is how you get there. But you're driving the car. You're going there. The car isn't taking you there. You're taking the car there. And once you get there, you get to be the experience. So the breath work is like a car that you get into to go visit yourself. Perfect. How does that, does that sound? Perfect. Does that sound like a analogy? 
I I like the the breath work is is what what I, what I noticed is that I can't focus on the breathing and be thinking at the same time, um, and it shifts the attention from a disembodied from a from from the disembodied state of those illusion of those thoughts those distractions and it shifts it into my body and that becomes embodied and that becomes grounded and centered and anchored and all the thoughts begin to fade away. And you mentioned the word yes, medicine. And then once you get Go in on. the body, the, the mindfulness, the because a lot of the breathing techniques is, is like you're feeling your body. Can you feel your chest rising? Can you feel can you feel the moisture on your nose as you breathe out? And can you feel it slightly dry as you breathe in? Can you feel the air twirling in your sinuses? Can you feel it going down your, your esophagus? Can And as you get into these sensations and you really get into this, what that is, is it first takes you into your body and then as your mind clears, then that also fades away and you become the breath. And then after you become the breath, then that also fades away. And then you're just kind of left there with yourself. And yeah. if you can stand that if you can if you can sit in that space which the first couple times you do it is it's almost agonizing it's almost painful and you will do anything to get out of that space because it it just is you're not people aren't ready necessarily to be able to sit in that kind of beauty because it is because then when they come back, it's like, what did I lose? So there, there was this time where, um, where I, I snowboarded, I hurt my body a lot. I had problems with my feet. And there was this one time I got a foot massage and it was like, my foot felt great. It was like, finally it stopped hurting. And then when the massage was over, it's like for the next two weeks, it was so much more obvious how much my feet hurt that I didn't go back and get another foot massage because it was just so painful that it was easier to get used to the pain than to get out of it and then go back into it. So a lot of times when when people first start getting into this mindfulness, they find this amazing spot that's just so overwhelming. And then when they have to step back into their life, it's 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 more painful. It's more distracting. It's like, I want that, but I have to deal with this. So I don't want to see that again because coming back from that is so traumatic and uncomfortable. So, uh, and you know, when you and I first got together, I'm also a psychedelic integration coach. And so psychedelics off oftentimes will put people into that, like really, really deeply into that space. And so then when they come back out of it and they have to go back to life, it's like, all of that is possible. All of that is there. Now I have to deal with all of this crap again. I want to go back there. And so there's this destabilization, which is why, again, the integration is so imp important in the pre-coaching so that you know that that could possibly happen. But so that's why, you know, mindfulness and a lot of these techniques, you actually start teaching them. If, if you're a good coach, you start teaching the people this before they go into that space and there's a lot of times where people can get into that space without the the psychedelics, without the entheogens, without the medicine, because, you know, we are the medicine that that's just an accelerated, an accelerated way to get there. 
And so, you know, if you can get there through the breath work, through the yoga, through the mindfulness practices, through getting into nature and getting in touch with that kind of life and do it slowly, then you can build your tolerance for yourself, for, for that joyfulness. And as you move into it slowly and back out and slowly and back out, then you can become that more often. You bet. Now, now with psychedelics, there's a lot of people who have been doing the breath work and have been been doing this for a long time. And then the psychedelic is just like an extension of that. And it helps them go deeper and understand more. But where I came at it was through desperation with the head injury. My life was falling apart. Everything was like just crashing around me. And so I needed that reconnection with life. And so that acceleration, though, does come with a cost because you get thrown into it and then you get taken out of it. But that does a reset and a, and a, hey, I know that's possible now. I can feel again. I can be alive again. I can get in touch with with that which I am again, because all of this damage, all of this pain took me away from that. So getting back in touch with that then gives you the space to start working back towards there more naturally by doing your own work. There, There is no getting away from the work. You can do it for you. <laughs> you can't. You, ju- you just can't get away from the work. A lot of people That's right. now, the psychedelics, <laughs> like, oh, you psychedelics one time, and you're cured of smoking. You're cured of right. your depression. Cured of your anxiety. And, you know, that's, that's not true. You, you have, you, you have a, you get to see it and you get a space that, Hey, I saw that. And now I can start working towards that and start moving towards that. So, you know, some people can do this one time and have this amazing experience reconnection and then go for it. But a lot of people, you know, you still have to go back in and do the work. You still have to realize that you are that spirit inside and then start trying to contact that intentionally, mindfully, right? Exactly. Going forward again, exactly. To actually make those changes in your life, because you know, if you're living a life that that causes you to get into that state of anxiety and depression, and you you go do these experiences, but then you don't change anything when you get back. Well, then that experience just becomes a memory and then it becomes a faint memory and everything that was going wrong is still going wrong and those distractions pile up and cover you up again. So you have to do the work to to get through that, to take that away so that you can then make the changes to get in contact with yourself more often. And when you, do you have, do you have a practice yourself that you do on a daily basis? Um, Daily basis, no. Um, I, I have been trying for years to set myself up a daily practice. Um, and I talk about this brain damage that I have quite a lot. It it makes things really interesting for me. Um, there is so much that I see. There is so much where I'm in contact a lot with myself that... Uh, how to say this, that that it's not necessary for me quite the same way. But then when I start to get out of balance, I do have to step back into my practices and 
Yeah. So, so I, I have been challenged in very interesting ways. And unfortunately, I think I did that to myself because so I've been at a lot of these tools and techniques since I was a teenager. So 30 or 40 years. And, and at one point when things were going really well and I thought I had control of it, I basically challenged God as like, Hey God, I I'm ready. I think I'm ready for the next step. I want to start, you know, and God picked up Mount hood and hit me over the head with it and shattered all of my practices. So I was, I was doing so much things, right. I was doing the breathing. I was making my decisions based on love. It's like, okay, these are the decisions I have to make. What is the most loving decision it's like it might not necessarily be the most loving for me but for the overall whatever is happening what what decision would be based in love and i was doing the meditations and then i got hit in the head really hard and my business fell apart i stopped being able to do paperwork i stopped being able to talk on the phone meditation when i would go into a meditation i would come out of it in a rage instead of in a peaceful place i would like get quiet and and just like freak out and and so that that is my path now so getting back from that I'm learning so much more how to talk to other people about it. So I challenged God to make me useful and he smacked me upside of the head and was like, okay, you thought you got it from a place of ease. Well, try it from this, this, this place where you're messed up. You, you feel like you're broken. And now, now go do that. Now figure out how to help people. And that's kind of where I am now. So there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of these practices that I have to sneak up on now, because if I hit them head on, if I was like, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this like I used to do, it it doesn't work for me. But at the same time, I can also see where I was in other people. It's like, hey, I I was here at this point and, and you can go around it this way. Oh, hey, I was here at this point and you can move this way and get through it. So it makes me a better coach. But at the same time, a lot of the practices that I had aren't as effective. So I have to sneak up on it. So that's this is what I talk about driving. So when I'm out driving and I start looking at the beauty and the postcards and I start putting myself in that space, I have to like be distracted on the outside to be able to get focus on the inside. And a lot of people have to be cut all of those distractions out and get to the middle. I have to be distracted to kind of get into it now. So it's it's this weird place of 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 wow, how to say it? it it's like the guru on the mountain. So you, you, there like these there's these comics like the wizard of id of the guy up on the mountain and these people climb up to the mountain and ask him a question and he gives them just like this really simple answer and their mind is blown and they go down and they live and that guy is up on the mountain because he knows how messed up all of this stuff is down here and he doesn't fit in that down there anymore. And that and that's kind of me, you know, fitting into normal life doesn't mean so well anymore. So I'm like I'm like Yoda in the swamp. Yoda got his butt kicked, went to Dagobah 
and Luke had to go drag him out of the swamp. Obi-Wan got his butt kicked, went to live on a desert planet under a rock. And again, Luke Skywalker had to go find him and drag his butt there. But and then they helped him. They helped the warrior go fight that battle. So I'm not the warrior out front anymore. I'm not the guy who's leading the charge. I'm kind of sitting back and it's like the warriors come to me and it's like, hey, cool. Here you use the force. Hey, cool. Here's how you do this. But that guy out front being able to be in that space, leading the charge against the th- those forces, that's not necessarily me in the mo- any, anymore. So I like can sit back and I can help guide people who are still in that fight as I pretty much sit back and, and work on repairing the damage of getting my own butt kicked in that fight. Yeah, based on your own experiences, uh, you have uh, compassion for other people who are on that suffering path. And if you can reduce the suffering of others through your sharing of your experiences, it seems like a, 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 a wonderful way to pass the time. Yeah. Somebody once asked me how I want to be remembered. And and it was it's actually something that I had thought of before, not necessarily how I wanted to be remembered, but how I kind of go through life. And to me, I got to the point where everything is God. And so you are an individualized aspect of God. God had to, you know, God is everything. How does God experience the universe? How does God see what he's done? Well, he separates himself lower and lower and lower until he can forget who he is. So I'm a little tiny piece of God who has forgotten he is God. But the amazing thing about humans, and you know, it says this in the Bible, we are created in his image. We are little tiny fractals of God who have forgotten the the wholeness so that we can then experience his creation and show him himself. So we know, so for instance, I know I'm God, but I'm not God, but knowing I'm God, I can look around and, and experience that and then relay what he is back to him. Mm -hmm. And so that's also what you are. So in, in the, in, so we are children of God. So I know right. that you're God and I know that we are going to be sharing experiences in the ultimate at the end. So if we ever, if there is an afterlife, is there, if there is this ultimate, then when we get together, I want to be known as I saw you as God and I tried to make God's experience while interacting with me as positive and as healthy as possible. So when I see people, when I meet people, when I talk with people, it's like, this is a little being of God. How can I make God's experience here better at this time? Now, am I always successful at that? No, I still get mad. I still lose my temper. You know, sometimes when people don't know their God and they are inconsiderate, I get caught up in the reality of the moment. So, you know, I am not perfect. And while I say I am God, I am not God, and I cannot, I cannot be that all of the time. And also, we are here to experience. We are here to get frustrated and angry and mad and and all of that because that's also part of this experience. It's not just the worship. It's not just the seeing how beautiful it is. It's also to have this life, to have this experience, to 
to be all of these things, to, to get my head knocked and to have all of these problems and then to find a way to overcome it. But if in that, when I can find these times where I can, I can be in this space to recognize the divinity in others and for those moments, try and make that person's journey just a little bit better, a little bit more comfortable to know that I see God in you. And as God is looking back at me to say, hey, I see you. I know you're there and I love you and I wish the best for you. And you know cuz that that really is to me one of the one of the most kindest things that i can do you is bet. is to try and make the experience not not for other humans but for all of these other little beings of god and, and that is that is what we all are what beautiful ways of saying it her very very nice uh, the Thank you. It, you you have that the oneness, how do you, 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 the idea is if there's no judgment, it's all oneness. We're all God. And, and I like the way you have, I've ordered it. It was very, very nice. And now we're going to be, I, it, com- it, go it on. Years, it took me years to come up with that. And it actually kind of started as a joke. Um, and the question that got me, that, that got me there is, is there a place where nothing exists? Because we use that word a lot. And, oh, what goes faster than the speed of light? Nothing. What's greater than God? Nothing. So it's like, is is there a place where nothing exists? And I, I, I told you my wife and I would drive a lot. And so as I'm driving, it's like I'm driving. I can't. There's not a lot else I could do. So I would go into these thought processes. So I would be driving around thinking about this. And I got to the point where if nothing exists, there can only be one thing that does exist. And it doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. From the point of view of nothing, there is only one thing that exists. Because if there's two things, if there's nothing between them, then they exist in the same space. But if there if there are two things, well, then nothing knows that there's space, distance, and time that it takes to get between the two of them. And it'll draw a circle around it, make it one thing, and then move away from it at the speed of light to make it a single point. And so there can only be, and I don't know that this is true. This was just my, this is just the way I was thinking. And so then the joke goes something like this. So if my wife and I are driving around and I am contemplating nothing and she asks me what I'm thinking about and I say nothing, am I telling her the truth? And that's nothing. Right. Right. Because I'm thinking about nothing. But but in the way I'm thinking about nothing, it's something. And so with the with the nothing and the one thing that exists, the one thing that exists has to come from nothing. And that so the the way I describe it is that the one thing that exists is the body of God. The physicality of everything is the body of God. And the nothing from which it arose is the spirit of god so what is greater than than the universe or what is faster than what is faster than light nothing yes it is it moves away from everything faster to keep everything at the single point what is greater than god nothing because god the physicality of god came from the grand spirit of nothing so nothing is the spirit of god it's eternal is the ocean 
upon which the first words I am were spoken, which created everything. And so the one thing that exists is everything. And that's part of what we are. We are part of that everything. We are part of that one thing that exists. We are an incredibly, incredibly tiny part of that floating on an incredibly tiny planet floating on a really small sun, if you think about the size of the suns, in a relatively small galaxy in this ginormous thing of nothing. So it took a long time for God to get away from himself enough to be able to then start experiencing the grandness of, of the everything that he is. I hear you. I hear you uh, describe describe something that is nothing. Uh, and how do you describe nothing with something? Uh, and you can't describe nothing with something, uh, but you can sort of create images. <laughs> right. that, what, that one you created with the hands, you have one hand here and one hand here. There's an empty space there that that you that you created. Uh, and so how do you create those empty spaces consciously and and the way a way of doing it is is our mindfulness techniques uh, which which erase to some things and when you can erase to some things then then you're left with nothings and i i call that space you know you, which is the fifth element the fifth element is space yeah. so you're in, you're embedding the fifth element in the physical world by creating those gaps or pauses between the somethings and you become more spacious when you do that. Yeah. And you know, nothing is also incredibly, incredibly small. So they, they tried to find the smallest particle of matter, right? So what they did is they took an electron and, and if you look at a, at a atom, it's a proton and an electron electron floating around it. And when they try to look at it, it's mostly empty space. So then what they did is they took the smallest thing, they took the electron and they broke it and they found even tinier particles. And even within that, it was mostly empty space. And when they broke up even this particles of that, it was still smaller particles with mostly nothing and it was so more space. So even with all of the stuff that we actually see or we think we see, it is mostly made up of nothing. nothing. And the particles that create it are so small and the space between it so big, like the, the, the distance between the neutron and the electron in an atom is greater than the distance between the sun and the earth and the outer planet. So it's like, there's there's so much space in everything. It's mostly made up of nothing. And it's just these weird viewpoints that we have that make it something. So how does God know the everything? Because that nothingness between everything is also God. But at the same time, he's moving away from everything. And so there's only the one thing. And it's just this really weird way my brain works that, that comes at that. So Did this happened after... Herb, did this happen after your accident that you had this breakthrough in consciousness? Or is it is it you know, the medicines that do it? Um that that's a difficult question for me. So um 
when I had my brain scanned, it came back as a series of traumatic brain injuries. So the, the final accident was the straw that broke the camel's back. But if you think about that analogy, if you added one more straw to the camel that broke its back, that camel was way overweighted. He was hurting. He was in pain. He was, he was done. Um, I had fallen out of trees when before I was five, I remember my I remember this when I was running across uh, a playground and I ran behind a swing set and got hit by somebody swinging, went flying, smacked the head, had to be taken to the hospital. Um, I've fallen off of I've fallen off of the old slides. You know, when when we were kids, we had these big, huge, tall metal slides, and I fell on out of slides. I got hit in the head with a baseball bat. I got hit in the head with a baseball, and this was Oof. all before I was eight old because i left california to oregon when i was eight years old and those those five or six that i just listed there were all before i was eight um when i got into where i into oregon it's like i played all sports i i played basketball baseball football um i've again bad hops got hit in the head with baseballs um footballs i i knocked myself out a couple times and then i got into college and I started playing or I started snowboarding. And the first time I went snowboarding, I came home with a concussion and whiplash. And I was so messed up. I couldn't get out of bed for a week. I had to like pull myself to the edge and then like roll out because I couldn't sit up because of all. And oh, I was wow. so in love with the sport that I bought all of my gear, my snowboard, my boots, my bindings, everything before I went up again. And it was probably six or seven years before I bought a helmet. And then once I got a helmet, I still concussed myself like two or three times snowboarding. So it wasn't it wasn't a single incident. So I, right. I talked about how I was into a lot of this stuff since I was a teenager. So I, I was open to Reiki at 16. Um, I started doing um, the Merkaba meditation in my early 20s. I did healing touch. I did the bars. You know, I ran the gamut because I, I had... I had superpowers when I was a, when I was a kid. Um, I had a, an ability to touch heal people. Uh, I, when I, I would start a conversation with somebody and then something would click and I would start carrying on both sides of the conversation. And I would start talking about stuff that happened to them while they when they were children and, and how they could work through issues with their parents. Um, and then when I was, and, and I didn't do that intentionally, it just kind of would take me over sometimes. And my wife, who I was dating at the time, um, she was around me the most. It happened to her the most, and, and it would make her cry sometimes of how accurate and and thorough what I was talking about was. And it really kind of scared both of us. So I put that away. Uh, I still have it. I can still do it. But I've put it so many locks on it that it's really difficult for me to bring that out intentionally. And sometimes it's painful now. Um, and so I put that away and then I started exploring what, what was that? What was I doing? And so I went, I would go look at, at this kind of modality and, and people, and I would start learning about that and say, and that someone would say, oh yeah, this is all you need. This is it. And it's like, well, that doesn't explain what I did. And so if you're saying this is all there is, then, then you can't be correct because that doesn't explain what I did. And I would like walk away from that. And then move to the next thing. And then that same thing would happen. It's like, oh, well, this is all that you need. This is all there is. And it's like, no, that doesn't explain me. So I would leave that and go to the next thing. And after doing that for about 20 years, 
I got into a conversation like this and I realized it's like, you know what? I took the truth of that. I took the truth of this. I took the truth of that. And yeah. I kind of made a grander narrative for myself that that kind of contains all of this. And I still in all of that never necessarily found out what it was that I did <laughs> or what I was. And then as I did start to get close to that, then the straw that broke the camel's back and it was a really, it was a really bad hit. Um, I was going down the mountain as fast as I could. It was at the end of the day. I was tired and I did what's called high side. I was on my toe edge. I hit a bump. My heels rolled back. I caught the back edge. And then I'm Ooh. flying through the air down a really <laughs> steep hill, looking oh. at the clouds. Oh. I actually I actually have a story written about it. Oh. Looking at the clouds, watching them peacefully drift through the sky. And thinking to myself, wow, this is really going to hurt when I hit the ground. Woo. And really, really long time to consider that. And, and it's like, I also thought there's these stories about how drunk people are the only people who survive a crash. And it's because they're all limp and they don't tense up. So it's like, okay, can I just relax? So when this, when I do finally hit, oh. I can come in and... I remember, okay, just relax, breathe, relax, and then pain. Um, I, I hurt my shoulder. I hurt my hip. I started seeing a chiropractor and an acupuncturist for that. And during that, my business started falling apart. I stopped being able to do a lot of simple tasks. But I was more concerned with the body damage, and I didn't really consider how badly I had hurt my head. And this was before all of the concussion protocols and all of the stuff that that people talk about now. So it wasn't the first time I hit my head, but it was definitely God telling me to slow down. And I'm still I'm still recovering from that. But in that recovery, you know, I've I've had to start talking to people and I talk this way. I've always been this way. You can go back to the people that I was with in high school, and they will tell you the strange stories of Herb. When I worked at Intel, they called them Herbisms because um, I there would be conversations and I would come in with these weird points of view. So I was always kind of like this, but that last hit took me out, slowed me down, brought my life down to where I pretty much only have three or four, had three or four people in my life that I talked to, which was my wife and my children. And then, and then as I started to come back to life, to come back out of this, then people started saying, hey, the stuff that you're talking about is different and I need to hear more of that. Or, hey, you know, you're talking about this and I tried to implement that and wow, it did amazing stuff for me. So these bailing wire and string and duct tape that I have holding myself together people see that and can take these little things that I'm doing and can like apply them to their life and they like boom take off and it's like wow didn't know this was possible and it's like sometimes that almost kind of makes me feel bad because it's like I wish I wish I could these things that I was doing help me that much um but it feels like they're just barely holding me together but as people you know take these things then they're if they're not as broken as I am everybody's broken but not everybody's as broken as I am they're able to to take these little strings and bailing wire and tips that are holding me together and use it to accelerate their life. And so I'm, I'm 
now trying to be more sharing of this, bring this out more. I'm doing these podcasts. I've become a coach. So I, I went through a, a coaching certification program called Being True to You. I, I started to do that as part of my own healing after a psychedelic sure. journey. And I fell in love with the community. It, it So many people more understand what I talk about and they're looking for tools like this to help their clients. And so I, I tend to be more of a, of a really good resource for these people. And I, I bring something to the table that I still don't necessarily know what it is, because like I said, for me, it's duct tape and string and little bits holding me together. But for them, it's like tools that they may have forgotten or they don't remember or they don't know the full depth of how they work. And because I've gone through so many of these experiences that I'm able to somehow convey this to them even though it feels to me like I'm barely holding it together, they see these things and it's like, wow, that's amazing. Let's show that to people. And, and I'm able to help people that way. So it makes me kind of feel better about, about, about how, how messed up I am, but not because right. it, again, I get to help other people come more into their spirituality, into their life and to see life as what it could be I, instead absolutely. of just yeah. yeah, you talked about being God and, you know, God can't be messed up. So the ego can be messed up, but, but God, God can't be messed up. You're, we're God, so you have to sort of laugh at the thoughts of, yeah, I'm messed up, right? That's, that's funny. Right. That's actually one of, the, one of the funny things I say is like the only thing that's not perfect in this entire universe is my understanding of perfection. God doesn't make <laughs> There isn't a single atom out of place in the entire universe. So how come I feel so out of place? So the only thing that's not perfect is my understanding of what perfection is. That's beautiful. That's very, very clear. That, that That's a postcard, Herb. You want to put that one in a postcard. Oh, a postcard. Not, not only take pictures of postcards, you can put words in that postcard. Yeah. It, <laughs> Go ahead and say it one more time for the audience. Say say that one more time for the audience, and then we're then we're going to complete. Okay. So you know everything in the universe is absolutely perfect. Everything is exactly where it's supposed to be. There is not an atom out of place. God doesn't make mistakes. So the only thing that isn't perfect in all of the universe is my understanding of what perfection is. And understanding is made up of the thoughts that you that you think. And if you can begin to erase the thoughts, you return to that mindful uh, space of nothingness. Well, Herb, it's been a joy talking to you. What? Go ahead, finish it up. I was going to say, and, and even that flawed perfection, that 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 uh, the flawed perception of what perfection is, that's also intentional because it then allows me to to show up. And, and bring these ideas to other people who think that stuff is broken. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. So you can, you can make that connection and create that uh, common ground, which makes them more trusting and more open to hear the, the, the wisdom, the, the herbism that you, you really are, you are, you are sharing your, uh, you've, you've traveled somewhere, you have experienced something and you're now coming back on the trail 
looking at other people who are on the trail and you're saying, hey, I, I've been up the trail a ways. If you do this, this, and this, it will accelerate you up the trail. Uh, and so that is a that is a that is a, like a metaphysician, a, a teacher. So I want to I want to thank you for being on the the Mindful You podcast. Also, if people want to connect with you, uh, we'll have all your social media in, in the notes. Is there a, is there something happening that you would like them to connect with you, or ways to connect to you? What's the best way to connect with you? Uh, probably the best way right now would be on my Facebook page. And, you know, I have the free gift, which is a call with me. So a, a half an hour or an hour usually ends up going a lot longer because I have a weird sense of time. So unless something is, is after the end of it, I, I just keep talking or, or listening, whichever is more appropriate at the time. So, you know, set up a call with me or hook up with me on Facebook, follow me on Facebook and, and let me know you're there and, and, We'll we'll keep going. Excellent, excellent, Herb. It's it's uh, you are a traveler on the path. Uh, I I love the things that you shared with with the audience, uh, and also I liked it because I have I understand the the, the nothings and the somethings, uh, and so I, it's nice to meet somebody who you can pass the football to, uh, and they'll be able to catch the football and pass it back again. Uh, so I sense a real partnership in in our in our journey together and uh, i just know that there's there's more there there's more for you to say so i'd like to invite you back at some time in the future just to continue our conversation because it really does yeah. make a difference i'd love to be here and and while it is great to be able to play catch with someone who knows what they're doing it's also really awesome to to teach people to start playing catch so that you have more people to play with in the future Abs- too. And so I'm absolutely good at starting to, is to help people learn how to start playing that game of catch. Beautifully said. I love it. Well, let's, let's continue the game then. Thank you very much. You Thank you again. Thank you for listening and please catch us on the next great episode of the mindful you podcast. And please share us with your friends and fellow travelers on the path.